Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ooh, welcome back, sports fans, to another episode of the Charity Stripe Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one sports podcast network in Los Angeles. For those listening at home, on the road, in the air, in the water. Do you believe we have a great show for you guys today? Award-winning author and journalist Ben Ryder joins the show to discuss his new podcast on the Edge Sports Documentary Podcast franchise where he details the Houston Astros cheating scandal. It's an awesome listen, an awesome interview, so get excited because here we go. Three, two, one. We're back. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Charity Stripe, pitch your free throws, cause they're free, so 280, coming hot at you guys in so 279, and I'm joined on this one by Alex Tossman, Rocktosopoulos, and Nikki Snacks Kreider, and our special guest, Ben Ryder. The podcast he put out is great, I'm excited for you guys to hear the show, and his show as well. Before we get into that, we got to remind you that we're brought to you by betonline.ag, go to betonline.ag, because the wait is over, yeah, 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 get excited, it's time to throw that money don't be a loser, be a winner. Go to betonline.agkg. Yeah, you know the Sandman and Uncut Gems. That's how we do it with KG. But go to betonline.ag, throw some money. Nikki Snacks Karida with Buki Mets. They're 10-4-1. You better be listening to our picks because we hot. We hot right now. Um, and yeah, enough about betting, but go to betonline.ag. More about the Charity Stripe podcast with Ben Ryder. Get excited. Here it is. Without further ado, enjoy the show. You heard it in our introduction, ladies and gentlemen. We welcome Ben Ryder on the show. He's now the host of an awesome podcast that just dropped today. We were recording on Wednesday, releasing on Thursday, as we always do. It's called The Edge, and it covers the Houston Astros and their cheating scandal. But Ben has been covering the Astros for way longer than that. Ben, how you doing today? Good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Ben, I got to ask. I got to ask, did Let's you ever hear. have issues growing up with uh, people mispronouncing your name, Reader? Yeah, man. Oh, Creeder, you must have gotten. All the time. <laughs> Nick, there's, there's your brother. It was man. like my biggest pet, pet peeve as a kid. I was always so pissed off and people never got it right. I get it. But now, you know, the, the thing that I get is, oh, Ben Ryder and you're a writer. I'm like, yeah, it's funny how that, funny how yeah, that turned nice. out. Yeah. So that helps some people. You yeah. Try that. 
And then <laughs> Nick, I, I have to stick up for Nick sometimes because they'll be like, oh, you're a buddy, Nick Kreider. I'm like, no, no, no. That's my buddy, Nick Kreider. And you better get her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't disrespect my mans like that. It, all right? it must and that's be, why you're my boy. <laughs> it must be really difficult having people mispronounce your last name. Oh, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I used to want people to mispronounce my last name. I used to, I used to tell them it was Fisher, not Fisher. And they'd be like, all right, get out of class, you clown. Uh, <laughs> um, but yes, we mentioned it before. You've been covering the Astros for a hot minute. You've famously, that Sports Illustrated cover where you said in 2014 the Astros would be the 2017 World Series champs. You called that excellent call. Um, and since then, the Astros, <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that, man. Uh, and the Astros have been a main focal point of your career. When you started off as a journalist, did you anticipate that you'd be really sticking with one team as like a main focal point? I know you've obviously delved into other stuff, but the Astros have kind of, you know, consumed and identified you in a sense as a writer. <laughs> well, I've certainly become identified with them. Uh, I've done a lot of things over the past, you know, since I started covering them. <sighs> I guess what I'll say is it started as just like any other story, right? Like mm -hmm. it wasn't supposed to be even a cover because who would have thought that the worst baseball team in half a century would end up on the cover of Sports Illustrated, right? That's usually a place for champions and superstars and stuff like that. What I did know going in is that I was going to have some pretty unusual access, right? Baseball teams are notoriously secretive, especially in this post-Moneyball era. Um, I'd been asking teams if I could, you know, embed with your front office for a while see what you're up to for a while at this point nobody said no i mean nobody said yes um and then i asked jeff luno and after some negotiation uh he said yes he said we'll do it like you can come in you can sit in on our pre-draft meetings kind of no holds barred uh and this is an opportunity that i've been wanting for a long time i didn't promise him anything like positive story negative story certainly not a cover because I had no conception it was going to be a cover. As I said, I just said, I'll come in with an open mind and I want to see what you're doing. And when I was there, I got the strong sense that, man, these guys are up to something new. Like it hasn't worked yet, but uh, this is way beyond Moneyball. The way they were leveraging analytics, the way they were combining analytics with human observation to kind of get the best out of both. It felt to me almost like more of like a Silicon Valley tech company or like a private equity shop or something in the sophistication of the way they were building this organization. So that's really what my 5,000 word story was about in sports illustrated. That's where that cover came from. You know, like this mm -hmm. team is onto something and we think it's going to work. Um, after that is kind of built and built from there. And I started writing more and more about them. And then when the prediction actually came true three and a half years later, then, you know, somebody once said, my friend said to me the night they won the world series, well, now we know what the first line of your obituary is going to read, which is kind of morbid. <laughs> I was like, okay, but uh, he, he might not be wrong. Like, I'm definitely, and, and I did this to myself in some ways, um, but I'm definitely linked with this team for better and, you know, obviously for worse. Yeah. Well, it, that's interesting. Uh, you say for worse. Um, and you bring up the point of, you know, the way they were doing things. Can, do you classify the way Lunell went about it successful? Did he succeed in it, knowing what we know with the cheating scandal, but also knowing what we know? Look, at the end of the day, the guy still got a hit. Pitchers got a pitch because they didn't have any help in that regard. Uh, he acquired Verlander. He made the right decision in drafting Correa and drafting Bregman. He brought up Altuve and Springer, obviously, and brought in all these savvy veterans. Was it successful? 
in your sense, or the term asterisk as now being described as the Astros, <laughs> do you throw that little piece on the end of that? You know, that's one of the big questions that I wrestle with as the podcast goes on. And yeah. we're talking, obviously, if the first couple episodes have just come out, so there are certain things I don't want to give away as far as any conclusions I arrive at. I know you guys will understand that. Totally. But I will say that, yes, I mean, I think he still, no matter what, turned around. What was the worst organization when he got there, right? Like, yes, like he didn't try in the early years to like quickly build a winning team. In fact, he kind of tried to do the opposite, as we all know, at least for the first couple of years. But they were already a, ter- they were a disaster, right? They were the worst team in baseball. They had the worst farm system in baseball. They had no present and no future. And he built this organization into a winner with when you look at pure talent of the team i mean it was up there with anybody might have been the best you know dodgers maybe at the time that was clearly the the rival as we saw especially in 2017 but yeah most of what he did i think you have to still give him credit for right and then the question is well where does the sign stealing piece fit in and how much of the success did the sign stealing account for on one level, we'll never know. I try to find an answer uh, by talking to a lot of people in this podcast. Um, but again, that kind of leads to one of the even bigger questions that I ask is like, when you already have this great team, you have all these ta- these players are so talented, they don't need help like this to win. Like, why they do it anyway, right? Like, why do they take that extra step yeah. that they probably didn't even need? And that's one of the big yeah. questions underlying the whole thing. You always ask that question too, with like guys who get caught in any sport. I mean, you look at, you look at Tom Brady, like, why does he need to deflate balls? He's Tom Brady. You look at Barry Bonds, like, why does he need to take steroids? Like he's Barry Bonds. He's still the greatest player right now playing the game. So it it happens like that all the time. It seems like. You're right. Uh, And look with something like this or like any cheating, you know, steroids. And if you're like a fringy guy who like, this is your whole life and like, Doing this, cheating in this way is going to mean the difference between like staying in the league and just being out. I think you kind of understand it more. It doesn't make it right. Definitely. You don't forgive them, but you understand like this is my the only thing I can do to like continue to do the only thing that I know how to do, right. essentially. Right. But when you're already A-Rod and you've already got this massive contract, right? Like, you're making that money anyway. You're going to be really good anyway. Why do you take that extra step? Why do you go over that edge? Um, And I think a lot of that thinking is something that I tried to apply to the Astros story here. Mm -hmm. And if, without giving too much away, but if we may delve into the first episode (laughs) a little bit at least. Yeah, of course. Yeah, let's uh, talk about that. Bullsinger was your first guest, and he famously came out and discussed, and we're talking about a guy on the edge. Like, game to game, it's that's his game to game is everything. If he doesn't pitch well that day, his job and livelihood's in trouble. What was your mindset in making him the starting point of the piece? Mike Bolsinger was, when I conceived of the project, he yeah. was like one of the two or three less less likely guys I wanted to talk to. Like we all knew the we all knew the big names that I was going to try to talk to and have succeeded in many cases, but Bolsinger's story was just so compelling to me for kind of the reasons that we just said in a way, right? Mm. Like they didn't need to do this against Mike Bolsinger. This was a guy living on the edge of his career. They were already winning that game. I think it was seven to two by the time he came in. Right. And this was a guy, his career ERA was over five. Right. 
Like they could have probably hit him anyway. Um, and yet, as it turned out, he, Bolsinger didn't know it yet, but this was the peak of their scheme, right? Like they hit the trash can more on this night than they did at any other point in the season against the guy they were probably going to hit anyway. And they essentially destroyed him, right? Like he never pitched in the big league again. He was yeah. sent down, he had to go to Japan. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, he was on the fringe anyway. Like, you know, he, it might have happened the next week or the week after that if the Astros hadn't done it to him. But that's not what happened, right? Like the Astros did do it to him. They did it in a, in a way that was cheating, flat out cheating. You never know. Maybe Mike Bolsinger would have like found something the next start yeah, or the next outing. And maybe he would have still been pitching if they hadn't done this. So to me, you know, in some ways it seems like a victimless crime because it's like, oh, one team wins, one team. But like there were kind of real victims here, no matter how much you think of like, you know, their arguments for being victims. Yeah, I think for the non-baseball fans or the non-baseball junkies, like it provides that perspective that really like humanizes the impact of, of right. what the Astros were doing. And I think yeah. he's the perfect story to represent that because at the end of the day, if I'm, if I'm not a baseball fan, like I don't really give a shit of who won the world series, but to know that someone was wronged in that way. Yeah. That's something. Someone I lost their job in a sense, you know, someone lost their job to poor performance. Right. Right. And um, you know, he, like you said, he could have gone out the next outing and just been lights out. And that, you know, confidence that was just shot down by the Astros kind of did that to him. Yeah, and yeah, he was just kind of, he's like the blue, a blue-collar guy, right? Like, we think right. of Major League Baseball players as having these giant contracts, job security. That's not true for many of them, for most of them, probably, right? Most of them are kind of going game to game, like, I better perform or I'm out of here, as Bolsinger says at one point. And he didn't perform, and he didn't know for two years as he, like, went to pitch in Japan and was, like, trying to find a job. Like, he didn't know probably one of the big reasons why that's how his life turned in that instant brutal it hits your feelings and i thought i was like when we were like looking at this i was like okay um because i'm not i don't know i love baseball and i try to keep it as positive as possible even though rob manfred's at the helm and every day just beats my love of baseball to the earth um but i, I was interesting how you're gonna go about this and this start really if i may compliment you uh it really pulled at my heartstrings and i actually felt for the guy so that really brought me in. I thought that was a very nice touch uh, you had. And speaking of feelings, uh, Jeff Luno, a guy <laughs> you got pretty close to when you were covering the team. You were in his box, as you say in the show. You were in his box uh, when they won the World Series. You got to be down there. What are your feelings towards him now after all this has he, transpired? You know, he is the central character of this podcast. And he's a guy that I've talked to for the podcast I think it's, I, he says exclusively, he has not done an interview since the sign stealing scandal broke um, until he talked to me and we talked for a long time. He answered every question I had. Uh, he was incredibly forthright as far as I can tell about the entire thing. And that's something that I think that you have to keep listening and see uh, what he has to say specifically um, about what happened with the Astros. But um yeah, I think I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. You know, he, in the, fir the first two episodes, he becomes a character when we learn about how he was a change agent in baseball. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you listen to the episode, I speak to a guy named Dave Trembley. Third base right? He's kind of a more, more old school guy who was the Astros third base coach who wasn't really with Luno's program, right? And is, is pretty mad about it, right? Pretty mad that he ended up uh, losing his job. 
of, uh, and doesn't say the nicest things about Luno. And there are a lot of traditionalists like that in the game who, no matter what Luno did, would have felt that way about him because he was an agent of change. Now, one of the questions is, how did that change develop into what they ended up doing? You know, was this related to the culture? Was it not related to the culture? How much of this was connected to the front office? How much wasn't? I promise you, these are all questions that we're going to explore as the series goes on. Great. Love it. And then the f- <laughs> question, Thanks, to, question to, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'll just stoke to listen to episode three. We got, we got to listen to the first two. Um, when I Peloton, I usually love listening to music and music only, but just so you know, I was still revved up and invigorated listening to your podcast <laughs> while on Who are you like? You're, you're an Alex Toussaint guy? You're a Jess King guy? I'm a, I'm a, I'm, oh, you're a nice, Oh, wow. You're a That's something we've never <laughs> delved into on the You're a member of the tribe. Um, <laughs> when I bike with my friends, I'm Alex, because they all like him. I think Robin kicks my ass the most, but honestly... Yeah. Um, I'm pretty solid at it. So what I usually do is I have my own program and I throw on like a 45 minute just ride, scenic oh, ride. And just he go. doesn't even need the trainer. Yeah, I'm a, little, I'm, a little, I'm a little psycho when it comes. Yeah, to that. you're like wow. beyond the instructor. Yeah, I, one of the cool, this is a total aside from go anything, it, yeah. but w- one of the coolest things about this that I like following is like when professional athletes do it. Yes, and you see their numbers and you see just how insane some of these people, like golfers, right? Like R- Rory McIlroy and people like that. Or like coming in like eighth in the world out of twenty five thousand, <laughs> like Rory McIlroy, right? He seems like this skinny dude. He hit it. like it really makes you realize how different professional oh, yeah. athletes of any type are from me. Well, especially me, but you too. Even though it sounds like you're probably pretty good at it. I'm pretty decent. I finished. I finished. <laughs> I finished top hundred the other day. I was pretty stoked about it. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Enough about me. Um, more about you. Sort <laughs> of brag. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to brag. Uh, personal versus professional. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so was this a professional undertaking or is it personal for you, this whole thing? Because you felt like you owed it to yourself and owed it to your readers that you had to kind of go back in the sense that this kind of, you said, happened under your nose in a little bit. Right. Definitely both. You know, like I, I remember what I felt when the athletic story came out two weeks after the World Series. Um, and I was shocked, right? Like really, probably more shocked than most people because I had spent so much time around the team um, and I went back through all my notes and all my interviews you know hundreds of hours of interviews and hundreds of pages of notes maybe not hundred, dozens of hours of interviews hundreds of pages of notes from over the years to see was there like any string I could have pulled at the time if I just like dug a little deeper I, I really genuinely do not think so right like I was not yeah. in position nobody was going to like offer this information I hadn't heard anything about it to dive into. Um, But I did ask myself, was there something about the culture of the program that was like a little darker than I knew at the time, right? And that's something that I really explored, right? So I'm I'm not beating myself up for not having discovered this. I know a lot of people are saying, you were there, man. Like, you should have known. Like, you're, some people are even accused me on Twitter, of course, of like hiding this thing. If I had known about this, I would have definitely written it in my book because that would have made for a, yeah. a, like a, a bigger book even. Um, I was, but I, I wanted as a journalist and also as a person to go back, find out what I missed and get to the bottom of it and get the story right. And that's been kind of my mission for the past eight or nine months that I've been working on this thing full time. 
in in retrospect, when you look back to interviews that you did with players, front office members, coaches, whoever it was, do you remember them being either one way or another, either like more bottled or or like more talking, like more talkative? Because I feel like sometimes, you know, it's that age old like psychology question. If you're lying about something, you're either like a chatty Cathy or you don't want to say anything at all. You know, and you'll, you'll actually hear some of this in episode three. Like you'll hear some interviews that seem just play much differently now than they did at the time. Uh, but it's kind of like, it really always happened when I asked about like the Astros strategies and techniques and they'd start to talk about all these new tools that we have. Uh, but then they'd kind of be like, but I can't tell you about that. Or like, you know, they'd stop short kind of at certain points. And at the time you're just kind of like, all right, you know, like any organization has things that remain in its black box, right? right? Like right. secret trade secrets, things like that. There was no way of knowing like what that actually was, or even if that's what they were actually talking about. But when you go back and listen to all this old stuff, it is this kind of, it, it's this bedrock of all the interviews now, right? This, this unspoken thing that you can't stop hearing in your mind as you're listening to these things. I think the craziest thing about the whole thing for me is um, what did they think was going to happen? <laughs> like, what did you yeah. think was going to, like, the minute some guy gets traded and then all of a sudden it's happening to them and their livelihood is now at stake. And I'm not talking about Verlander because whatever Verlander, if he hypothetically left, was going to go, he was going to be a stud. It's a Hall of Fame pitcher. But Mike Fires, maybe not as much, a guy who's a little more streaky. Like, what did they think was going to happen? Do you ever ask yourself that? That's a big question I explore as well. <laughs> the crazy thing is, like, it almost didn't happen, right? Yeah. Like, close. it was one dude. One yeah, guy right. did something really unusual, not just in baseball, but in any kind of, you know, tightly knit industry. Right. And was a whistleblower and, like, spoke out. If Mike, My if Mike Fires hadn't done that, like, we still wouldn't know this, most likely. Like, maybe somebody else would have. But it was pretty rare for somebody to break that omerta, right? Like that clubhouse yeah. code of silence. And think of all the people who were also potentially disgruntled by how the Astros are treated, right? It's, Mike Fires isn't the only guy who like didn't have a great ending with the Astros. Most athletes don't have great endings. Most athletes aren't like Carlos Beltran where they get to kind of like retire on their own terms. Right. They're cut, they're kicked to the curb. Maybe they feel like they didn't get a fair shot. None of those other guys said anything. Um, so that's part of the interesting thing, too. And it made me wonder, you know, did they not say things because they're just here adhering to this culture of silence? Or was on some level this not, like, as unusual as we think it was? That's the, th that's the thing that I'm gets me. I'm wondering which one. And, and that, that's also a question. I'll yeah, I, I think I that's the thing into. that, like, I always kind of think about, too, is, like, I mean, this isn't the first time this happened and it probably won't be the last time that something like this will happen in sports of course i mean people have been trying to get a competitive edge for years i mean you look back at the 1930s and 20s and they talk about guys being in like the, the outfield wall like with a with like a like binoculars trying to like steal signs and stuff like this happens all the time i mean it's it's one of those things yeah i mean the first recorded incident of sign stealing was in 1876 right like Things it's been baked into baseball for the entire time. Now there are lines, right? Like the line is clearly using kind of devices or, or technology to do it. 
but that wasn't really a line until kind of the year 2000, right? That yeah. was the first time that baseball actually outlawed those things. Um, and they never really punished anybody for doing it afterwards. So it's always been this ethical line, really, among the players baked into the game. Clearly the Astros crossed it. Right? I'm not saying they didn't. I'm not saying they should right. be blamed for it. But there is this much broader context of the sport and the history of the sport that you do have to consider if you're really trying to understand what happened here and what it means. All I know is if I'm a pitcher, I'm changing my indicator every single every single inning. Every inning now. I mean, the lengths to which these pitchers are going to go to to make sure that what they're throwing is not known by other teams, I feel like there's got to be so much more of that than, than what there was. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I found out that you'll hear later in the series is that back in 2017, there was more than one team that were that was doing that exact thing against the Astros, right? So this is not something that was a shock to everybody when it came out two years later. Yeah, I just – and the crazy thing is, you know what? They're up two games to nothing on the A's. <laughs> we're right back in it. And what, is, what does it say to you if they win? Like, What does it say to baseball? What does it say to you if they win? The only thing it'll say – is that this is a, you know, it's a good, it's a good team, right? Like, I don't, I don't think it like, it will definitively prove or disprove anything. Just like I don't think Jose Altuve having a bad year, like definitively proves or right. disproves anything. Um, it is an organization that was built from the ground up into a really good, sustainable organization that was going to have the chance to win the World Series every year, whether they were sign stealing or not. And I think we have to assume at this point they're not because, I don't know, that would be pretty crazy if they were. Um, and the fact that they, look, they made the playoffs. I know the, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you guys think about the expanded playoff structure. I think it's a bit ridiculous, but that'll let them make it in uh, despite kind of the middling season they had. And now they're showing that they're still a really good team and they're, and they're lacking their ace, Justin Verlander for the whole season. They haven't had their closer Roberto Asuna the whole season. They haven't had their, probably their best power hitter, Jordan Alvarez, the best season. And here they are playing really well. Yeah. But look, it's like, it's four games, right? Like, yeah, they've played well these four games that could change right. really fast, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't think that it changes the kind of progression of the Astros organization over the course of the last decade too much. What was your issue with the expanded playoffs? I just think it totally devalues the regular season, right? And like, I think, I think if you can, if you continue it, I mean, I guess may, I, I'm willing to hear counter arguments, but I think if this is what happens next year, it's kind of going to be like the NBA, right? Like teams who are definitely going to make the playoffs are just going to shut it down at, towards September, August. Like they're not going to throw their pitchers. Um, it just mean, makes the regular season meaningless, right? The regular season to me should be like, sorry, I'm going to backtrack a sec. The baseball playoffs already were kind of randomizing as far as like if the best team actually wins the World Series. Like that didn't always happen. Often it didn't happen because you had to get through so many like short series. Right. And now that just introduces even more randomizing <clears throat> to who's ultimately going to be crowned the champion, further devaluing the regular season. That's my view. I understand how cities like it i understand how the owners like it for sure i understand how cities like it as far as feeling like they have more of a chance through more of the season yeah it right. gives us more of that cinderella story feeling kind of like in college basketball and, and march madness but for right. me baseball i mean it 
I want the best team to win. You know what I mean? And like, I'm all for like an underdog story and all that, but I mean, when it comes down to it, that's why the world series is a seven game series. You know, that's why the NLCS is seven games because the best right. team's going to win. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It almost feels like if you had to push this same format for years to come, like y- you would need to limit like how many games the regular season is. Like I, it uses, there's so much value and importance of the regular season. I think that's what baseball like purists love so much about the sport is that it almost devalues like what this team did winning their division, winning the, the quote unquote pennant. Like, what does that mean anymore? If you can get right. upset by the third team in your division when you get to the playoffs. And baseball is different from like the NBA, right? Like in the NBA, the better team, fundamentally better team usually wins in playoff series, right? Yeah. That's why you have a team in the NBA who's winning like 80% of their games sometimes in the regular season. Cause that's just how the sport works in baseball. Any team can beat another team like three in a row, right? Like any team, um, much more often than that could ever happen in a sport like the NBA. Right. So that just further randomizes the ultimate result, in my opinion. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's it's definitely a double-edged sword because you want people to fall in love with the sport again because we've seen it fall behind the NBA and the NFL. And you want, you know, as a lover of baseball, you want to see it up there in the ranks. But I just feel like oftentimes we're a very anti-Rob uh, Manfred podcast, so I'd love to hear, if you don't mind, your stance on the commissioner of baseball. <laughs> you know, I think Commissioner Manfred – has had uh, to deal with a lot here. Um, you know, I, you'll be hearing more about how the league plays into this in my podcast when uh, when we start to get into the league's investigation and the report. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Cool. I need for, feel free to leave it at this next one as well. But were you satisfied with the apologies or kind of lack thereof at these Astro players after the league? handed out their suspensions and their punishments and were you satisfied with the punishments even uh i don't think i was one way or the other on them personally right like, i wasn't looking for like personal satisfaction i was really looking to understand them right like and ex- like understand why did the players not get punished if the league stated that this was a player driven scheme like what does that mean what does that say about what happened what does that say about the league why did Jeff Luno and AJ Hinch get such severe punishments? Um, why did the owner of the team not really seem to suffer much punishment at all? Like those are all kind of dynamics that I wanted to understand more than having some <clears throat> personal like value judgment on whether they were the right punishments or not. And that's another thing that I, I'm trying to do in this podcast. Awesome. Um, well, how quickly did this idea come about? You find out they cheated, right? When did you go, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it in a podcast form. How did all that materialize? Well, you know, of course, my mentions started blowing up immediately, right? A lot of people being like, you know, you knew about this. Like, you covered this up. You know, everything you've written in the past is bullshit. Uh, You know, Astro Ball is 100% fraudulent, all that (laughs) stuff. Then there were other people who were like, Hey man, this means you need to like write a sequel to your book, right? Or you need to at least write another chapter. A few like good people in the in. world that are left. <laughs> ah, yeah, it was more than a few. Sorry, it was more split than you'd think as far as those reactions. But yeah, those people, I was like, you know what? And as I said, I felt a personal responsibility already, even though I thought I'd written my last word ever about the Astros. Probably at that point, I felt a personal responsibility to get back in this and do it. Um, and then I thought about the best way to do it, and I connected with uh, 
this great team who made this incredible series called Slow Burn, incredible podcast series, which is about really usually political scandals, but shares a lot of DNA with what happened here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just decided that this was this was a. They they also make a podcast called Fiasco, which does similar things. They're not sports people. I'm a sports people. So kind of combining their background in understanding scandals and my background with the Astros and sports, we figured uh, this made a lot of sense. And here we are. Like, I guess that happened in February. Now it's October, so eight months later. Nice. Did you enjoy? Did you enjoy this medium? Is it something like you think you could do again with another scandal, hypothetically, or another situation in sports? I don't think I would. I do enjoy it. First of all, I, I think it's a great way to tell stories. It turned out that during the pandemic, it was actually something you could still do as you guys are finding, obviously. Yeah. Right. Everyone like, and their mother makes... has one. <laughs> right. <God bless> podcasts. <laughs> exactly. It's something that you can still make. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. This one was an incredible amount of work. I'm not complaining because like, I loved every minute of it more or less. And I love the outcome. I think that people are really going to enjoy it, but it's incredibly labor intensive to make it sound as kind of coherent and fun and clean as I think it does. Um, so I'm really proud of it. I think I'd do another one. Um, I'm not sure. This story's really, really, really complicated. So it might be nice to do like a more linear one, but I think that we've done a good job of explaining all of the very many angles and characters and complications um, in the product we have. Absolutely. Um, and we obviously have spoken a bunch about the Astros and the Edge. Um, and your career has, you know, been involved in that heavily. What else, though? What is what else is something you've been really proud of as a journalist? Another story that maybe not as high profile as Astros one. Thanks for asking about that. One that always stays with me is this totally. story I did a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it was 2018, I believe, about Hideki Arabu, right? Like one of the things I really like as a journalist is going into stories that there's kind of this public understanding of what this story is all about. And then going back into it and diving into the depths and explaining what really happened here. Hideki Arabu is certainly an example of that, right? Like he was a guy, everybody knows him. He was, you know, a failure with the Yankees. George Steinbrenner called him the fat pussy toad. He's kind of this buffoon character. Um, I think a lot of people didn't know that very sadly he ended up killing himself a few years ago. Uh, and it turned out that this was a person with just a lot more levels, a lot more depths, a lot more complications to him than anybody knew. So if, if your listeners are looking for something to read, you can look that story up. It's called uh, The Complicated Life of Hideki Arabu. And it's just something that you were interested and intrigued by, or did someone kind of pass that along to you? How'd that one come about? I think it was like, it was, it was like some anniversaries. Like, oh, Hideki, it's been 20 years since Hideki Rabu debuted with the Yankees or something. What happened with him? And it was, yeah, we will look into that. And I'd remember that he had killed himself. So I was like, yeah, I mean, there's obviously something more going on here than, than we imagined. Um, and um, then... I kept digging and digging. There's just more and more and more. It went down these rabbit holes and uh, ended up with a story I'm really proud of and I think is really meaningful. Yeah, I mean, the whole mental health space in sports, I mean, in just in general, now it's made its way towards sports people. Definitely. It used to get glossed over a lot for totally, sure. Totally, totally. Yeah. And, but, I mean, yeah, you he, see you see it happen, you know, with Junior Seau, and it happens with a lot of other athletes. I mean, it's something that definitely is spoken about a lot more now. Yeah, and it wasn't spoken about in 
you know, around the year 2000, when he was pitching. And I, I think that really hurt him. Um, guys, this has been awesome. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Thanks so much for the time. Uh, thanks for having me on. It was fun talking to you about this and I hope your listeners, uh, check out the edge. Ben, absolute pleasure, man. We'll have it out Thursday morning. We'll shoot you on Twitter. Uh, everyone, go check out The Edge. Truthfully, really enjoyed the first two episodes. Can't wait for the third one. Uh, where can we find it? What outlets? Well, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. The usual. So nice. Should be able to. <laughs> that's what they told me to say. Same yeah, place you can we... find the charity stripe, you can find The Edge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. Double click. Ben, thank you so much. Ben Riders, ladies and gentlemen. All right, fellas. Thanks. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Awesome show with Ben. Couldn't have asked for a better time. Uh, yeah, learned a lot. Really loved his podcast. It's great. Um, we want you guys to go take a listen uh, for sure. It's the Edge uh, Sports Documentary Podcast Series where he covers the Astros. And go check out episode one, two, three is dropping next week, I doth believe. Um, and yeah. Thanks for listening to the fans out there. Drag both feet around, swing on a full count, rip that buck, hit that putt. Hit your PKs because they're free and hit your free throws. Why? Because they are free. We out you. We love you. We sitting here. I supposed to be the franchise player. And we in here talking about practice. Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History final. Tie game. Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bases loaded. Two out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.